Our scripture reading, which is also the text of the sermon this afternoon, is Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. We read that far. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jonah was the son of a man named Amittai, who was from a town named Gath-Hefer in the northern part of the northern kingdom of Israel, who lived during the reign of King Jeroboam II, who was of the dynasty of Jehu. We know that from the only other reference in the Old Testament to Jonah, which is 2 Kings 14, verse 25. In that verse, we learn that in the days of Jeroboam II, Jonah prophesied the restoration of lost lands, the extension of the borders of Israel. And Jonah saw the fulfillment of his own prophecy in his days. Jeroboam reigned in a time of great prosperity and great power in the northern kingdom. It was a time long after Ahab and Jezebel, but before the captivity in Assyria. They were prosperous times. That's when Jonah lived. But in spite of the prophecy of Jonah and the blessing of God extending their borders, the children of the northern kingdom did not cease worshiping the golden calves. And therefore, we can understand the book of Jonah this way, that God was punishing the nation of Israel by sending Jonah out of Israel to Nineveh. 
And that's how the book of Jonah, of course, begins. God came to Jonah and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for its wickedness rises up before me. Nineveh was a great city to the east of Israel in the land of Assyria, which would become the capital city of a great and thriving empire, which would ultimately carry the Israelites away into captivity. God sent Jonah to Nineveh to cry against their wickedness and to call them to repent. God was using the occasion of the apostasy of Israel to reveal his purpose to extend salvation to the ends of the earth. Already in the Old Testament, God began to reveal his purpose to draw the Gentiles into his covenant and kingdom. However, Jonah did not want to go. Jonah certainly grieved over the apostasy in Israel, and yet he loved Israel, and he believed that Israel alone was worthy of salvation. He didn't think that those pagan nations out there were worthy of God's mercy and grace. He didn't think it was supposed to be given to Nineveh, and so he didn't want to go. He knew that his mission was to cry against Nineveh and to pronounce judgment on that wicked city, and yet he expresses later that he knew also that God is gracious and merciful and that God forgives those who repent of their sins. Jonah did not want God to save Nineveh, so he fled in the opposite direction. He didn't go to the east, but he went to the west. He went down to the city of Joppa, And there he found a ship that was heading west through the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish, a city far, far away. He paid the fare, he got on the ship, and he began to sail westward. But then, because of his brazen and blatant disobedience, God arose to chasten his servant. God would show Jonah that salvation is of the Lord to give to whomever he wills, whenever he wills, and however he wills. So God sent a great wind and stirred up the waves of the sea against that ship so that it was threatened to break up and sink. And Jonah was asleep, but they woke him up, and he was forced to admit, this storm is because of me and my sin, and there's only one way that you will survive It's if you cast me overboard into the sea. The sailors did not want to do that, of course. They were afraid that the Lord would judge and punish them if they murdered his servant. But they prayed that the Lord would not hold this against them. And they picked Jonah up and they cast him into the raging sea. And immediately there was a great calm. But Jonah sank under the waves and billows down into the sea. And there we are told that the Lord prepared a great fish, chapter 1, verse 17, to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And it was out of the belly of the fish that Jonah offered a prayer to the Lord which is what we consider in our text today. 
I call your attention to Jonah's prayer from the fish's belly. Notice, first of all, that in this prayer he describes his descent into the belly of hell. In the second place, he speaks of his salvation from Jehovah. And finally, he confesses his resolve to pay his vow. There in the fish's belly, Jonah came to his spiritual senses by the grace of God. And he prayed to Jehovah his God concerning the horror of his sin and the terrifying chastisement that God had laid upon him because of his brazen disobedience. He speaks of the fact that he had descended, as it were, into the belly of hell itself, and he deserved to perish for his grievous sin. Jonah prayed, we read in verse 1, unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. Out of the belly of hell I cried, for thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. From there inside the belly of the great fish, Jonah in his prayer expresses what he had just experienced, the fact that he had been cast out of the ship. But he does not attribute that to the sailors who picked him up and physically dropped him into the water. He attributes it to the Lord his God. Thou, Lord, didst cast me into the sea. Thou, Lord, did cause the floods of the sea, of the abyss, of the Mediterranean to swarm and compass all around me. It was thy billows and thy waves that passed over me, that crashed over my head, so that I was forced under the water. As I floundered, trying to swim, I was unable to escape. And down I went under the surface of the water. As the sea currents swarmed all around me, the wind howled above me. I knew, Lord, that it was you who did this to me. It was you who cast me out of the ship into the midst of the abyss. It was you who cast me down to sink into the dark depths of the sea. It was your billows and waves that overwhelmed me. Jonah confesses that he felt at that time that he was cast out of God's sight forever. Verse 4, I said, I am cast out of thy sight. To be cast out of the sight of God is to be forsaken of God. It is to be banished by God outside of his presence, outside of his fellowship, to perish for all eternity in the darkness of hell. Jonah felt as he sank down, down into the sea, that he was plunging into the belly of hell itself to perish for all eternity. He goes on to express the things that were happening to him as you can imagine his body being cast about by the waves and swirling downward into the depths. Verse 5, he says, The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. As the waters pounded against his body, he felt as if they were penetrating through his skin and flesh into his soul itself so that he was suffocating within himself. The depth 
he says, closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. He felt the pressure of the water upon his body, crushing him, pushing him, forcing him down, down. As he was tossed about in the churning, raging waters, he felt trapped. He felt that there was no escape. The weeds, the seaweed, began to entangle itself in his hair and wrap itself around his head as he made his way to the seafloor. And he says in verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The mountains there are the mountains at the bottom of the sea. And he felt as if he was going to sink all the way to the bottom of the bottom of the mountains at the bottom of the sea. To the very bottom. The earth with her bars was about me forever, he says. As he was sinking down, he imagined that the surface of the sea was like a set of bars blocking his way from the land of the living so that he would never be able to escape from this prison, this death trap of the raging sea. He would never again walk, he thought, there on the earth among the living. Finally, we read verse 7. My soul fainted within me. It seems that Jonah was about to go unconscious Probably from lack of air, he was being suffocated and drowned in the depths of the sea. But it was right at that moment, when all seemed to be utterly lost, when death seemed to take him at any moment, that suddenly the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow him up. Chapter 1, verse 17. That was the moment when the fish came, when all seemed to be lost for Jonah. That was when the fish came, whether it was a whale or some kind of great shark, we don't know exactly what it was. But it was a large fish that came, opened its mouth, and swallowed Jonah whole and alive into its belly. So that Jonah found himself inside the belly of this sea creature for three days and three nights. And yet, it was there in the belly that he offered up this prayer to the Lord. In the belly of the fish, he still felt that he might be at the end of his life. He did not yet see any escape. Now, what was the prison of the sea had become the prison of the fish. And in the darkness of the fish's belly, he did not know if he would ever see the light of day again. God was chastening his backsliding prophet for his disobedience, his brazen, gross disobedience to God's direct command. God was sending him through a terrifying experience. Sometimes the Lord chastens us as well. Sometimes the Lord sends trials into our life sometimes chastenings. In either case, whether a trial of our faith or a chastening because of our sins, sometimes we feel the kinds of things that Jonah expresses in this chapter. We feel as if we are overwhelmed by the waves and the billows of our trial smashing against us. We feel that we're floundering in the sea, that we're sinking under the surface, 
that were not able to swim, that were trapped, that were suffocating, that we have the oceans pressing upon us. Sometimes we even wonder where God is in the midst of our sufferings. And we feel that we've been cast out of his sight. We feel forsaken. We feel swallowed up by the sea and the fish. And as if there might be no escape for us. Sometimes God leads his people through difficult and dark paths. Whether it's because of a physical infirmity or a mental or emotional infirmity, sometimes, too, it's actually a chastening as he sent to Jonah. If we blatantly, brazenly disobey what we know to be the revealed will of God in the Scriptures, if we turn our back on the direction God tells us to go and we go in the opposite direction, then if we are the children of God, we can expect that he will come after us. He will not allow us to flee off to Tarshish. He will not allow us to perish in a heathen land. He will come for us. He will send storms into our lives. He will stop us dead in our tracks. He will cast us into the sea. He will make us flounder and struggle. And he will do that because he loves us. He will do that to correct us. He will do that to show us that salvation is of the Lord. He will do that to show us also the horror of our sin. As we come to see that I'm in this situation and predicament because I did the wrong thing. Because I've been living wickedly. And in that way God turns us and brings us to repentance. And he shows us the wonder of salvation when he brings us out of the depth of despair. Salvation is of the Lord. That's one of the great messages of the book of Jonah. We find that in the text in verse 9. And the wonder of the book of Jonah is that it points directly to our Savior. Salvation is of Jehovah. Jonah becomes a type of the one who was to come whose name would mean Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah, salvation. Jesus. Jesus himself would say in Matthew 12, verse 40, that an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is the higher and the better reality to which Jonah pointed. You see, Jesus is not like Jonah in certain respects because Jonah was suffering all of this because of his own disobedience. Jesus never disobeyed God. When God said to his son, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry unto her, Jesus went. That is, he went down from heaven into the world. He fulfilled his mission. He preached the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike. And never did he once disobey God or sin against him. Rather, Jesus took upon himself the sins of Jonah, the disobedience of Jonah, and your disobedience 
and mine when we refuse to do the will of God, when we aren't interested in what God wants, when we go the opposite direction. Jesus took all of that upon himself. And now, like Jonah, Jesus gave his life for our lives. Jonah knew that there was only one way that those sailors would be able to survive, and that was if he gave up his life for them. He said, there's only one way. You must cast me overboard into the raging sea. I will give my life so that you can live. And they cast him overboard. Jesus comes giving his life, allowing himself to be cast overboard into the raging sea of the wrath of God, the waves and billows of his indignation against us for our disobedience. He allows himself to sink into the sea of God's judgment on the cross. And there, all of the waves and billows of God's wrath came over his head as he sunk down, down into the belly of hell. And he suffered. He suffered the wrath of God against us that we deserved until it was finished, until he gave up the ghost. And his body was taken down and buried And for three days he lay in the grave. So that just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, he was three days in the belly of the earth for us, for our salvation. God shows us above all, not through Jonah, but through Jesus, that salvation is from the Lord. As Jonah was in the belly of the fish those three days and three nights, coming to his spiritual senses. God caused him to understand from experience that truth and to make that confession from the heart. Salvation is of Jehovah. Jonah recounts in this prayer that as he was sinking in the sea, realizing how desperate his situation was, he cried out to the Lord. That's the only appropriate response. We find that in verse 2. He said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, and thou heardest my voice. Again in verse 7. When, I, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee into thine holy temple. Is there any other appropriate response when we are in the midst of our struggles with sin, our struggles with the consequences of sin, our shame, our guilt, when we're sinking, as it were, to death, then to cry out to the Lord, Lord, save me, save me, Lord. Only you are able to save me. Save me, deliver me from my sins, deliver me from the curse due to me, for my sins. That's what Jonah did. By faith, he turned not to the lying vanities that the heathen turned to, that he mentions later in the chapter, but he turned to the Lord, the only one who could save him. He knew that. And the Lord heard his voice. The Lord heard his voice, even though there was no vocalizing of that voice. He was sinking in the sea. He couldn't speak. It was the voice that was crying out within his soul. 
Lord, save me, save me. The Lord heard his voice up there in his holy temple. And in answer to his prayer, he prepared, or rather he sent that great fish that he had already prepared, that he had already ordained. It was already there. And now God brings it into the picture. And it swallows Jonah whole and rescues him right at the last moment. Jonah suddenly found himself inside that fish. And at some point he must have woken up. He must have regained consciousness. And he must have realized in the darkness that he wasn't in hell. He was still alive. He was breathing. He could feel his body. He could tell that he wasn't dead. Somehow he hadn't drowned. He hadn't died. He hadn't been chewed up by that fish. God had saved him. God had done an extraordinary thing, a a miracle, like one that he had never heard of before, one that had never been recorded in all the scriptures, to have been swallowed by a fish, and in that way to be saved by the Lord. The Lord had done a wonder of grace. Salvation truly is of the Lord. And so as he's sitting there in the midst of the fish's belly, coming finally to his senses and realizing what had just happened, he utters the prayer of the text. And in the prayer, he not only expresses the affliction, the agony of his suffering, the terrifying thing that had happened to him, but he also expresses his hope for salvation. He says in verse 4, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. Jonah was confident that even though he was in the darkness of the fish's belly and he didn't know if he would ever escape, yet he believed. God will bring me salvation. And even if I die here in this miserable place, I will come again into the temple of God. If not in Jerusalem, then that temple, the temple up above. And I will see my God there. He says later in the text, in verse 6, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth was having bars around me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. I might never break through those bars of the earth again, but I'm alive. The Lord has saved me. He has, as it were, raised me up from the dead because he thought he was dead. He thought he was drowned. But the Lord had rescued him from the belly of hell through the wonder of the great fish swallowing him. So Jonah concludes in verse 9, or rather verse 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Those who worship idols, the Ninevites, The Israelites, anyone who turns to idols, who worships empty idols which are no gods and have no power, they forfeit the only way of salvation, the only God who's able to save. They turn their backs on him and forsake him. But those who put their trust in the Lord, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, shall be saved.
And that, of course, is the promise of the gospel. And notice that as soon as Jonah made that confession in verse 9, salvation is of the Lord. You picture him there in the belly of the fish, in the darkness of the fish, crying out, Lord, salvation is from you and only from you. That's when the Lord spake to the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. God was directing that fish everywhere it went to the sea until finally it went back to the place where Jonah came from, the seashore, the land of Israel. And the fish swam all the way up into the shallows by the land and opened its mouth and vomited Jonah out. And there he was in the shallow waters, stunned, no doubt, by what he had just gone through and realizing truly, truly salvation is of Jehovah alone. God will deliver all of his children from all of our troubles. That's what we see there. God was chastening Jonah for his sin. The sin was great and grievous, and therefore the chastening was also great and terrifying. Even coming to the very brink of death and thinking he might die and perish in hell, God brought him all the way to the brink. Sometimes he brings us there too. But he will not leave us there. He will never forsake his people. He will send the fish, whatever that fish might look like in our life, to rescue us out of tribulation. He will bring us through affliction. We will come to the other side of a trial. Trials, the very nature of trials and chastenings is that they don't last forever. The punishments in hell continue forever. But when God chastens us in his love, that chastening might be severe sometimes. It might be painful. It might be frightening. But the Lord will speak to that fish, and it will vomit Jonah onto the shore. God will speak to our circumstances and bring us through to the other side. But more importantly, as we already saw, Jonah's three days and three nights in the fish point to the three days of our Savior in the grave. And after he suffered and was buried for three days, what happened? The grave opened its mouth and released him. And our Lord Jesus Christ sprang out of the grave victorious as the living Savior. So that Jonah points us to Jesus and Jesus gives us the hope of salvation. Jesus gives us the hope of resurrection. Jesus takes away all of our fears in this life and in death. Jesus gives us the ability to say to death, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? By faith in Christ, and only by faith in Christ, are we able to face the last enemy and to pass through it into glory. 
when Jonah was vomited out of the fish onto dry land. Even before that, when Jonah came to realize the salvation God had given to him, he became resolved by the grace of God to pay his vow. He says that in verse 9. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. That's the response of the child of God when he comes to see and to experience the salvation that can only come from the Lord through Jesus. What is our response? That we become resolved to bring the sacrifice of thanksgiving and to pay our vows before him. Jonah had made vows to the Lord. Before this whole episode took place, we can say safely that as a prophet and servant of the Lord, he had been called by God and he had taken vows to be a faithful servant to the Lord. He had vowed as a prophet to speak what the Lord told him to speak. But he hadn't done it. He hadn't kept his vow. He had broken his vow. He had gone the opposite direction of his vow. Instead of doing what he vowed to do, he went the other way. But God had stopped him in his tracks. God had humbled him and led him through hard experience to the point where he softened his servant's heart so that now he's willing to pay his vow. To do what God said. So we find in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. There we find the grace of God at work in Jonah's life, whereas before he was rebellious and recalcitrant. Now the Lord has softened his heart and moved him towards Nineveh to accomplish his will. Jonah arose and went. He went all the way to Nineveh, however long that journey was, and he walked into the midst of the city, that great city, and he began to preach throughout the streets, crying out to them for their wickedness, telling them that God will come in judgment and destruction if you don't repent of your sin. But Jonah still had more things to learn. He hadn't learned everything yet, and God had one more lesson for him. You see, Jonah, as he went to Nineveh, he was willing to go, he was willing to preach, but he still harbored in his heart the hope that God would actually do what he threatened to do to Nineveh, that God would actually destroy them for their sins. Jonah was not ready. He was not interested yet in the salvation of Nineveh. So God must teach him that now too. And God used the preaching of his servant that day in Nineveh to perform a wonder and to soften the hearts of the Ninevites from the greatest down to the least, from the king down to the pauper, so that 
they declared a day of fasting and prayer, and they cried out to the Lord to forgive them for their sins, and the Lord did not destroy them. This displeased Jonah greatly. We read of that in chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He was so angry that he stormed out of the city, and he prayed that the Lord would just end his life. Just put an end to it, Lord. I don't want to keep living. I don't want to live in a world in which Nineveh gets saved. That's how strong and deeply embedded his erroneous thinking was. And then, as Jonah was sitting there in a little hut that he made outside the city, and the sun began to beat down upon his head, the Lord did another miracle. He caused a plant to grow up next to Jonah, a gourd plant, and this beautiful plant overshadowed him with its shade, a shade from the sunshine. And Jonah was thrilled. His heart was lifted up. He was glad of this gourd and the shade that it gave to him. But the very next day, the Lord sent a worm, and the worm destroyed that gourd so that it withered and fell to the ground. And Jonah was displeased and angry. He had pity on the gourd. He was mourning and weeping over the gourd that had died. He wished the gourd could have survived and continued to give him shade. And then the Lord comes to him and says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry about the gourd? And he says, I do well to be angry even unto death. And the Lord says to him, Chapter 4, verse 10. Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons, a hundred and twenty thousand persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, that is, more than 120,000 children and much cattle as well. You're concerned about this gourd when there is this city full of little children and cattle. Aren't they better than a gourd? Jonah, you've been wrong. You've been wrong. You should have had pity on your fellow man, on the children of your fellow man. But above all, Jonah, you failed to recognize salvation is of the Lord, not only in this sense that the Lord alone can accomplish salvation, but also in this sense that the Lord alone gets to decide who to save. Salvation is of the Lord to direct to whomever he wills whenever he wills, however he wills. That was what Jonah had to come to grips with. And the book ends abruptly right there, which implies that Jonah had no more things to say in response to the Lord. The Lord had put him in his place, and he knew it. What could he argue with the Lord? If the Lord would save Nineveh, then he will. 
and Jonah must accept it. Going back to the introduction of the sermon, we must remember that in the days of Jonah, the children of Israel were going apostate, falling away from the Lord, forsaking him, worshiping golden images. And so the Lord turned from the Jews to the Gentiles, something that would happen again in the days of the apostles. When he turned to the Gentiles already in the days of Jonah, God was giving a glimpse to the church of the Old Testament of his glorious plan to gather a people from every nation of the world. It never was God's plan only to save Israel. But through the history of Israel, God's plan was to send out the gospel into all the world. And this is a little glimpse in the Old Testament of God's plan to do that. He was gracious and merciful to the men of Nineveh and saved them that day. We know that because Jesus says in Matthew 12, not only that the sign of Jonah is that he was three days and nights in the belly of the fish as Christ would be in the grave, but also this. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Are we also ready to be used by the Lord if the Lord sees fit to bring people into the church and kingdom of God. Peter would later say to the New Testament church that we must be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks a reason of the hope that is in us. If Jonah was wrong in his attitude, at least you could say that he lived in the old dispensation when God did not yet fully reveal his purpose to send salvation to the ends of the earth. But for us, there's no excuse. We live in the age, the last age, when God fulfills all the promises and sends the gospel into all the world. He saves not just Jews, but Gentiles. He wants to save men and women of all kinds, As he says in Romans 9, he will have mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. Why did he choose Nineveh? Why not Babylon? That's the sovereign predestination of God. God chooses one and not the other. But when God says, I want that one, then who are we to say, no, Lord, not that one? He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2 that we are to pray also for kings and those in authority because God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And we understand that to mean not that God wants to save every single man, but that he wants to save all classes, kinds, and categories of men, even kings, even the king of Nineveh. So what will it be, beloved? Will we turn and flee from the Lord like Jonah? 
when he tells us to go and witness to this person or that, will we think to ourselves, that person's not worthy of salvation. They're not worthy of my witness for this reason or that. Or will we remember in humble gratitude what God has done for us who deserve to perish at the bottom of the sea but God has miraculously brought the wonder of salvation into our lives, scooped us out of the sea, and given us the hope of eternal life. The knowledge of that salvation ought to work in us the resolve, like Jonah, to pay our vows before him. There are vows upon us, too. The vows upon us are the ones we take at our the baptism of our children. We vow to train up those children. The vows we take at our wedding toward our husband or wife. And the vows we take when we make confession of faith. That vow we make when we become members of the church includes that we will live a new and godly life. And that new and godly life includes that we seek to witness to our neighbors and to confess Christ before men. That's part of our vow. So let us pay our vows. Let us not argue with the Lord's way, but rather pay our vows before him, remembering that we have this calling to bear witness to whomever the Lord places in our way and let the results be left to the Lord. If he will save that person or that person, let the Lord do it. May God grant us that grace. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, we give thanks to thee for the wonders of thy grace as we have seen them in this book of Jonah. Lord, we pray that we would be filled with amazement at thy power and thy grace. May we be filled with humble gratitude for thy salvation. And Lord, we pray, use us and send us. We pray that thou would give us hearts that are ready to go, that are ready to be used, ready to give an answer to anyone whom thou wilt place in our path. And we pray, O Lord, that thou would fulfill thy plans and purposes for the salvation of all thy own. In Jesus' name, amen.